Welcome to Still Scared, Talking Children's Horror. I'm your co-host, Adam Wybray. With me is Ren Wednesday, and today we'll be discussing two books by Vivian Alcock, The Haunting of Cassie Palmer and Monster Garden. There's a full transcript available at the link with uh, show notes, so do check that for more. Enjoy! Hello, hello, Ren. Hey. Hi. Um, we're back. Uh, we have some books to talk about today, um, which is The Haunting of Cassie Palmer and The Monster Garden, which are both by Vivian Alcock, um, which was your choice. Um, do you want how, how to... How did you find out? Did you read them when you were a kid or...? I, I knew you were going to ask me that. Um, <laughs> the answer is no. I, I didn't read them as a kid. Um, they were mm. bought for me for Christmas um, from a previous guest of the podcast, Ali Kay. Um, who I think did read them, or at least one of them as a kid, and came across them in Oxfam Books, I believe, mm-hmm. and thought that they seemed like my kind of thing and suitable for the podcast. Hey. Um, nice. And yeah, Antonia, my partner, had read Monster Garden and liked it. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, they, 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 I don't know about your copies, but mine have a very 90s kind of cover design <laughs> aesthetic. Um, yeah, I yeah. was going to say. Um, the, yeah, the, the covers feel very familiar to me. Like, I think that a lot of them, well, the ones I have have these kind of very desaturated illustrations um, that, I don't know, I can just imagine sort of being laminated and being a bit yellowed and kind of sitting in like those spinning book displays in the library um, when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's a, a beautiful description. So yeah. I think we probably <laughs> have the same covers. Um, yeah. So the one with Horning and Cassie Palmer, there's a kind of superimposition of Cassie uh-huh. and possibly the ghost, possibly her mother. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. This is the 1983 edition, and it's a yeah, it's a kind of sort of smiling white girl wearing a, a pinafore dress and socks and sandals and a, this brown hat and yeah, and there's a superimposed image. Um, of. I mean, I assume it's meant to be the ghost, but it doesn't look much like the description of the ghost <laughs> in the book. And I'm pretty sure he has a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like being haunted by uh, the drummer of a hair metal band. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much. <laughs> um, and he sort of looks a bit, I don't know, like suspicious or challenging. I think there's a sort of wry expression. Like, <laughs> yeah. You think you're all that, Cassie Palmer? 
Um, <laughs> so the covers are not great. Um, oh no! Come um, on, the Monster Garden cover is great. <laughs> Do you get the Monster Garden cover, which has? <laughs> I'm assuming we have the same one. Um, is it sort of similarly washed out, but has a sort of head and shoulders portraits of a, another sort of pretty white girl wearing a a turtleneck and in a frame of twigs and then coming in from one side is a sort of blue hand with bulbous fingers holding a feather in its palm. <laughs> yeah, um, it's beautiful. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And like when I, I was staring at it for ages trying to work out why there was a feather in its palm and then on rereading I did figure out why, but it, it took a while. <laughs> not immediately obvious. Um that is, is but, very um, odd because it looks like a really kind of posed portrait. Yeah, yeah, it looks like a school portrait or something. Yeah, so this kind of blue gelatinous hand <laughs> the frame looks really odd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I think um, probably these covers wouldn't have uh, necessarily caught my eye as a child. <laughs> it's something I wanted to read. Um, but. Um, but she was very, um, Vivian Alcock was, uh, yeah, she was an English children's book author and she was very prolific in the 80s and 90s um, and published uh, more than 20 novels during that time. Um, and uh, yeah, of the two we're going to talk about today, they're both very short, they're, neither of them are more than 150 pages and um, The Haunting of Cassie Palmer was published in 1980, which was her, her first her first children's book, and then um, the Monster Gardens from nineteen eighty eight. Um, so um, I think it makes sense to to start with the haunting of Cassie Palmer, um, which is uh, a, about thirteen year old uh, Cassandra Cassie Palmer, who is the seventh child of a seventh child, and has consequently been told all her life by her mother uh, that she'll be a great medium one day. Um, and her mother is a medium herself and supports her, the three children who are still at home by doing seances. Uh, however, at the beginning of the book, Cassie's mother's uh, usual Friday night seance goes uh, goes awry uh, when a sceptic in attendance reveals the tricks and props that she's been using and um, that that she claims supplements her gift. Just uh, when it's when it's having a dry a dry spell. Um, but uh, this leads to a, a crisis of confidence for her children who start doubting what they've been told their whole life. And um, Cassie is quite relieved because uh, she starts to feel like she might be freed up from her seventh child destiny. Um, but her brother dares her to summon up a spirit to prove that prove that it doesn't exist. It's all nonsense. And so they go to the cemetery to a, a hidden part over a wall that they call their Garden of Death. <laughs> um Incidentally, the title of my favourite painting, uh, The Garden of Death by Hugo Simberg. Um, anyway, uh, in the cemetery, they, they all have their favourite gravestones and uh, Cassie's brother's Tom's one is one that he calls The Black Beast, uh, which the book describes and says, His headstone was black with age, speckled and pocked with grey, and one corner angling up sharply like a crooked shoulder. It said simply, Deveril. 1720 to 1762. Um, and uh, that night in the cemetery, Cassie loses her brother and sister, but decides to go ahead with the plan anyway to prove her point. Um, 
she sort of garbles some words at the gravestone and then a voice from the Deverell grave says, what do you want? And uh, the description says uh, she saw it was a man dressed in a black coat or cloak, so similarly flecked and speckled with grey that it might have grown from the same stone. His face was thin, the eyes hidden by the shadow of his hat, the pale skin drained of all colour by the moon, much pocked and pitted and scarred, so that the smooth, plump lips showed up in strange contrast, glistening like grey satin. Um, which was a, a contender for texture of the week. I like how um, I like how his uh, his cloak is um, flecked and speckled with grey, like the like the tombstone, but. Um, uh, I, I think so, one of the reasons they suspect that he's a, a bad egg is mm. the lack of much of an inscription on the gravestone. So yes. speculating that, you know, if you haven't got a, you know, dearly beloved or remains forever in our hearts, then you've probably mm-hmm. done something terrible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so he sort of pops up and kind of offers to teach Cassie witchcraft. Um, and uh, Cassie's scared and runs away and eventually finds her siblings again, um, who it turns out had run away because they saw the police. Um, but her, her brother was convinced that she just saw a homeless man in the graveyard and got spooked. Um, but, uh, so a few days passes and um, nothing else has happened. Um, but the kids get back from school to find out that their mum has put the house up for sale because she can't practice seances in their town anymore. Um, when they protest, their mother starts to shout about the expense of raising them all and to distract her, they tell tell her that Cassie saw a departed spirit. Um, their, their mother is sceptical, claiming that even with years of experience, materialisations are extremely rare. Um, and so doesn't quite believe it, but... Um, Cassie is uh, preoccupied with um, thoughts of having to move house, and um, and then on the way back from school, uh, Deverell reappears, and uh, they talk a bit. And Deverell says he would like to meet Cassie's mother, <laughs> and then starts to explain how to make a wax effigy of a person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just casually drops it in there. Yeah, he does. Um, he's quite keen on um, trying to teach Cassie witchcraft, which um, she's really not not really having any of. Um, Cassie argues with him about whether or not he is really Deverell, and he um, he proves it by uh, waving his hands about in front of a cat's face, um, uh, who doesn't attack him, um, and uh, claims that that only creatures with souls and minds can see him. But to be honest, this sounds like um, steps on George's cat Yoshi, um, <laughs> who. Now, to be fair, I think um, Yoshi was brought to George as a bit of a comfort animal, and as such, she, she she's very placid, I guess, mm. um, placid to the point that you might assume she was dead. Um, she's not. Um, she she is very deaf, um, so she's profoundly mm. hard of hearing. So you, you can't. You, she won't really respond to you calling her. But but even when you know George will really lug her about, and you know he kind of really coochie coos over her. 
uh, is a bit <laughs> obsessed with you. She, you know, thinks she's the cutest cat ever. Um, and often inspired by YouTube memes, will get her to, you know, be keyboard cat and so on. And she just sort of, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if she sort of retreats into herself. Um, but it just sort of sits there placidly. Um, hmm. I mean, I talk, I've been teaching George, taking, you know, doing some of the home teaching during mm. lockdown. And today, um, when I was doing his maths work, I talked about, come on, I said something about flumping down. And he said, oh, Yoshi, Yoshi flumps. And then he just sort of put himself on his hands and knees and then just toppled over to the side as though dead. <laughs> I, was, I, I, was, I mean, it looks like a dead George. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, my, my point is that I'm not entirely convinced that Deverall's technique of proving that he's a ghost is completely... Foolproof. Completely foolproof. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. I think I think that it's not the most rigorous scientific method for no. ghost proving the um <laughs> um But it it works for Cassie. <laughs> like Cassie's yeah, yeah, like, well she... that proves it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um uh, yeah, so, so, so yeah, Deveron wants to meet Cassie's mother. Cassie's mother is a uh, is intrigued, but sort of decides that she should be rational about this, and uh, and uh, that Deveron is, is probably just a creepy man lingering about. So she accompanies Cassie to and from school for a week to protect her. Um, during which time Deveron doesn't appear, and uh, eventually her mother relates, but relents, but tells Cassie to invite Deveron to tea if she sees him again. Um, uh, so she does uh, the following Monday, and Deverell proclaims himself her friend um, to her concern. I think <laughs> it's fair to say. Cassie's <laughs> um, um, mum is eventually won over by Cassie's insistence that Deverell is a spirit, and uh, looks forward to the fame and success that could come her way by seeing a real departed spirit. Um, when Deverell appears, however, she's alarmed by his appearance. It asks him to take off his hat when he's not wearing one and uh, someone cries out, where are his feet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I quite enjoyed. <laughs> his feet are right there, but uh, something about him has <laughs> made her think he has no feet. Um, she she tells him that her, her daughter can't help him and he'll need to find someone more qualified and he sweeps away in a gust of wind. Um, she decides to write to the Psychic Society to, to get someone to come and deal with him. Um, so Deverell kind of keeps appearing to Cassie on her way home from school and tells her that time moves differently for him, so there's no time when he's not with her. He tells her that when he was in his, in his grave, he had bad dreams and he doesn't want to go back. He, he asks her how he can serve her. And she tells him about the house that she wishes the family could move to with a river running at the bottom of the garden. Um, and when the family go and go into the countryside and see someone that Tom might be apprenticing with, they find a house for sale, uh, just as Cassie described it to Deverell. Um, but it's too expensive. And uh, when Cassie sees Deverell again, she complains. And says, What's the good of a house we can't afford? 
So he says, well, we used to, I used to live in this town and uh, I left a box of gold and jewels under a floorboard in this old house. Um, he shows her the house and explains that a deaf old lady lives there now. And he's sure she could just creep open uh, through the back door and up into the attic. Um, which uh, Cassie's pretty unsure about, but she does sneak into the house and sort of... Yeah, I mean, I mean she, she's basically like, you're just trying to trick me into doing evil, aren't you? I know the devil's <laughs> yeah. tricks. <laughs> mm. because so as, she, as you she, said Devil's been like kind of turned on to witchcraft and such so yeah and she kind of goes, sort of goes into the house and sort of imagines kicking the old lady down the stairs and running away with the treasure and then realises that, that that's not something she's going to do and she's just like well you know Devil deserves to be reported to the psychic society um so she, yeah, she confesses her her near crime to her mother, and uh, when Deverell appears to her again, she tells him that she'll betray him. But um, on the on the night of the visit from the psychic society, Cassie gets a a vision of of the visitor in a car accident, and sort of runs out of the house to try and stop it and warn him. Uh, but in her frenzy, it's her who runs out into the road and makes his car swerve. The, the man from the Psychic Society isn't badly hurt, but is taken to hospital and Cassie and Deverell confront each other. Um, neither of them knows what the other's purpose is, but they realise it must be something between the two of them. Cassie tells Deverell that she wants him to just go back to his grave and he says she can't ask that of him. And Cassie runs into the graveyard, uh, intent on driving a stake through Deverell's heart, um, she calls to the other spirits to rise up, but no one comes. He tells her to he, to destroy her then if she's going to, and she realises that she actually needs to do the opposite. Um, she calls to him to help her, and she sees an image of him as a little boy surrounded by hostile, murderous adults being called a devil and a witch's son. So she calls to him and sort of makes a gap in the circle, and he escapes and is set free and that's kind of releases his spirit I guess um, and uh, when Cassie is recovering from all of this um, her mother tries to break the news sort of gently to her that her gift has come on too suddenly and too strong and she won't be a medium as an adult after all Cassie finally tells her that she never actually wanted to be one anyway um Cassie and Mary go to, go to the old woman's house and uh, ask her to look for Deverell's treasure. And they find it and uh, split it with the old woman um, without murdering anyone. And, hooray! Uh, hooray! The, the last paragraph reads, um, In the old cemetery, the headstones lean sleepily, the grass grows long and wears feathery plumes nodding in the sun, and there are only wild flowers dandelion and ragged robin and the white trumpets of convolvulus except in front of one grave where someone has planted forget-me-not the headstone is black with age speckled and pocked with gray with one corner angling up sharply like a crooked shoulder it says simply Deverell, 1720-1762 and underneath carved unevenly but with love the letters r.i.p um and that's the haunting of Cassie Palmer. Uh, what did you make of it, Adam? Yeah, it's 
it was more low key than I was anticipating. Hmm. Because I think it, it starts with a terrific setup. Um, mm-hmm. It really brings you inside Cassie's world and that of Mrs. Palmer, her mum, a semi fraudulent medium, and mm-hmm. stakes feel pretty high. Um, it's clear that they're not very well to do and they're mm-hmm. a bit hard up. That um, Cassie's mum gets kind of revealed as a fraud or a partial fraud at least early mm-hmm. on, and this is. Clearly, a kind of big humiliation to her. She's quite a proud woman. Um, this falls hard on her kids. Um, so there's an element of domestic drama which really draws you in. Um, mm. And then there's this creepy undercurrent of Cassie being the seventh child of the seventh child. And was it is she the seventh child of the seventh child? Or mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, and that she possibly, you know, hears the voices of spirits or is affected quite deeply when the sounds occur. Um, and mm. I really love the scene when they go to the graveyard and Devil's summoned. Um, I think where it falls down for me a bit is in the middle section, there's so much mystery around what Devil's doing um, mm. that he ends up seeming, it's like he's just dilly-dallying about. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, he's a bit of a creepy presence, but he kind of becomes banal quite quickly and Cassie ju- is just like, oh, I don't know what to do with him. And <laughs> Oh, well, there he is again. Yeah, the yeah. Corner. And there's this right. odd standoff between them, but both of them are kind of affecting boredom with each other, basically. <laughs> Mm. Like, oh, hey, ghost. Oh, hey, human. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I do think that section then drags, which is a shame. And what, what, what strikes me as interesting is the degree to which the Monster Garden then repeats some of the structure of Cassie Palmer, but more successfully. Mm -hmm. Because both these books are about a protagonist who is aligned in some way, maybe awkwardly or with some kind of peril involved or problematically uh, with a misunderstood alien or outsider figure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but the tension doesn't really let up in the Monster Garden. You know, the stakes remain high. Um, and I think... I think it's a, it's a, it's a stronger work. Um, I do feel that... Alcock's writing shines through, though, and there are some great descriptive passages. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, I pretty much agree with everything you said. Um, I think... Yeah, it does... It does... Uh, it's... it's it's uh, The Haunting of Cassie Palmer is, is very downbeat um, to the point that it does, um, does drag a bit in the middle. Um, and... You feel like there could be more done with uh, with the, that setup, <laughs> um, um, but it it does it does have some it does have some great writing. Um, what 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 did you think of the relationship between Cassie and her siblings and also her mum? Um. 
it was interesting. It was quite um it was quite vividly written, I think. Um you definitely get like a strong sense of the mum um as a kind of as a as a character who's she's kind of struggling really. Um and she's quite harried and is takes it out on her kids sometimes and um but is also kind of believes in what she's doing and is is trying to like make the best of things you know yeah um yeah i like that ambivalence that it's not hmm. as simple as oh she's a fraud or she's a real medium hmm. um i think that's that's more accurate like yeah i definitely think there are some very cynical mediums who just use cold reading and you know are really just there to kind of exploit grieving people um mm. but i don't think that's necessarily the whole story um mm. you know i think there are more people perhaps who maybe tap into aspects of intuition uh or uh are very attentive listeners um or, you know, maybe they are tapping into something, hmm. you know, and, and yeah, I think it's probably much more of a kind of spectrum and a spectrum of belief when it comes yeah. to whether um, whether mediums actually believe in what they're doing. You know, I think it tends to be a lot more complicated than either side presents. Mm-hmm. And I, I, li- I liked that very much. I thought the yeah, that of was... Mrs. Palmer was convincing. It was interesting nuance of, you know, she's... She she believes that, that you know she believes in her own in her own gift and she believes in what she's doing but also <laughs> she she has to uh, she has to make money and she sort of kind of partly reluctantly and partly sort of cher- sort of sort of enjoying her sneakiness kind of <laughs> shows shows off the little tricks that she's got to. To, to make things a bit more exciting. <laughs> yeah, because she's kind of like a romantic figure, but she's also a bit of a hard-nosed pragmatist. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. uh, I like, similarly, I guess, like, you know, the relationship between Cassie and her mum's quite fractious. And same mm. with the siblings. Sometimes it feels like Cassie's older brother and sister are very much on her side, and other times they're kind of antagonistic and... You know, I, I thought I thought it captured that sibling relationship quite well. Hmm. I think I, I missed like having a, I don't know, having a kind of close sort of relationship between some uh, kind of a not contested relationship in this uh, book. That's Cause interesting. Because like, like, yeah, in Monster there's... Garden, you know, that Frankie has her best friend, and it was kind of has a kind of straightforward, fun, good relationship. And I sort of wanted Cassie to have something <laughs> like that, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean, there's quite a, a sad passage where she kind of reflects that Deverell's her only friend. Yeah. And she yeah, sort she, of says, she... well, you know, obviously most people think he's creepy and he's this pretty shabby-looking old ghost, but I don't have anyone else, so... Yeah, yeah, it's quite a lonely book, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it is a lonely book. I agree with that. Mm. Um. And I mean, the title is "The Haunting of Cassie Palmer." It's Cassie Palmer's <laughs> story, ultimately. Yeah. And 
yeah, she is quite haunted alone. You know, even when Deverell is brought in to meet the other family members, you know, they don't know how to respond to him. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Whereas with the Monster Garden, um, Frankie... So, I guess we'll, we'll go into yeah. the plot of the Monster yeah. Garden, but um, her her Deverell or, you know, her kind of outsider figure... It's much more of a, you know, she she lets a lot more people know about the situation much earlier. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it becomes more of a kind of collective project. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. So it's The Monster Garden from 1988. Um, yeah, protagonist is called Francis Stein, known as Frankie Stein, <laughs> because uh, slightly on the nose main character names are something the two books have in common. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, she introduces her her family by saying, "My father is a high up scientist and a low down male chauvinist pig," <laughs> 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 which is a strong opener. Oh, yeah, I like that. Um, <laughs> uh, she, she's a girl in a family of um, of her dad and brothers, and uh, her father works at the laboratory that people at school say is a monster factory that does bizarre experiments on animals. Um. uh, The instigating event is that uh, Frankie's brother David has stolen a test tube of something or other from their father's lab and uh, Frankie says that she'll tell their dad if David doesn't give him a bit of the substance and uh, very reluctantly he does and she uh, pricks her finger and squeezes a bit of blood onto a saucer and tips this jelly onto onto a saucer on the windowsill and um, (laughs) then goes to see my fair lady and uh, forgets all about her monster. Because <laughs> uh, Frankie's uh, Frankie's a different kind of character from Cassie. She's um, uh, much more sort of carefree uh, kind of uh, kind of soul. Um, <laughs> uh, um, there's a, a thunderstorm during the night, and uh, Frankie sees a, a bolt of lightning jump towards her open window. And uh, the next morning, her her goo has grown and uh, developed two red eyes and a short fat tentacle um <laughs> frankie gives it another drop of her blood uh, before realizing what uh, seymour in little shop of horrors doesn't which is <laughs> quite that it was perhaps not advisable to bring up a monster on my own blood after all i only had a limited supply i didn't want it to develop a taste for it <laughs> <laughs> i really like how plain spoken she is as a narrator yeah <laughs> So, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, sensible choice there. Um, uh, Frankie sort of casually asks her brother how much his monster has grown, and he assumes she's just being silly. But um, the next day, her monster is uh, the size and shape of a small cushion, and Frankie is fully alarmed, and even more so when she wakes up to find it sitting on her pillow looking at her. It says... um. The monster sat on my pillow and stared at me with its red eyes. It had a domed head, but no hair, no nose, no ears. It had two eyes and a thin slit of a mouth, as if someone had drawn a line in soft clay with a knife. A thick body, short stumpy arms and legs, but no hands or feet. Its grey flesh had a greenish tinge. It looked absurdly like a very large jelly baby. See, I thought that might be your texture of the week. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think... Monster is my texture of the week in general. But, Should we uh, go into texture of the week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right, I've got... Mm. Texture! 
Texture. It's Texture of the Week. Texture of the Week. Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Okay. Yeah. So my Texture of the Week is when Cassie Palmer's family, so Mrs. Palmer and her siblings, finally meet Devril. Mm. So, Cassie also looked at him, trying to see him through her mother's eyes. In the bright light from the newly washed shade, he looked shabby. There was no other word for it. The rough material of his cloak was not greasy, but dull. It absorbed the light with no answering sheen, but she felt if one shook it out, the air would be filled with dust. His boots were stained with a whitish mould, as if they'd been too long in water, never properly dried. His hair was lank and without lustre. His face, well, his face was ghastly enough. She was not surprised Mary had screamed. Bright light did not suit him. He had a greyish pallor, the marred complexion pitted with shadows, as if the flesh itself were half eroded. If he were not a departed spirit, he was certainly well on the way. He is sick, she thought, perhaps dying, but thin as he was, surely too solid for a spirit. <laughs> I love this mottled description, like, it's mm-hmm. almost architectural. Like, crumbling (laughs) face of a building. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, Yeah, it it definitely brings back to life the time that I got a pair of shoes very damp and then left them in a plastic bag for a week. And and then they were very mouldy and I had to throw them away. Um, 28 years old. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um uh, but yes <laughs> regardless of my inability to look after my own possessions uh, that's a good a good uh, a good description yeah i like that it doesn't get too wispy and ethereal like i like ghosts when they have a bit of solid presence to them um, mm. That's why I like the ghosts in M.R. James's stories. Like, mm. yeah, they they tend to have a bit more flesh and blood about them than some ghosts. Yeah, and yeah, definitely very uh, evocative of having been in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> um, mm. I also I I have one from um, from the haunting of Cassie Palmer, which is just a. <laughs> when uh, Cassie uh, accuses Deverell of uh, of wanting her soul and he says I don't want your soul, such a little one what would I do with it? It'd be lost in my pockets <laughs> Do you like the idea of a pocket full of souls? I do, yeah <laughs> um, I'm just digging through your pocket trying to find the right soul yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I just enjoyed that Um yeah, you can generally assume that every one of the uh, descriptions of uh, the monster, later known as Moni, that um, I'll, I'll read out on <laughs> 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 my textures of the week, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, because they're uh, delightful. Um, 
but <laughs> I also quite enjoyed Frankie t- saying of her brother, you could grow cress on the back of his neck. It's <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> so, <laughs> quite evocatively disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, <laughs> Jelly Baby Monster um, is is a good one. Cool, yeah. cool, and and is named Money. Is named Money, yeah. Um, not quite yet, and where we got to, but but that's that's its name. Its name is Money. Um, uh, some Frankie yells at it to go away, and uh, but then softens when it sort of starts to act like a strange baby and kind of starts twisting its mouth around and making its legs longer and shorter and sort of playing about. Um, Frankie uh, doesn't trust her brother with knowing about the monster, uh, so she tells him the, that her sample died. Um, she wants to talk to someone, but all her friends are lively, la- light-hearted chatterboxes. Um, so she decides on a girl she doesn't know very well, but who seems serious and has a brother who's good at languages. So uh, this is Julia and John, and they come round and are kind of terrified and disgusted by Moni, who uh, Frankie has come to feel to feel sort of quite fiercely protective of. Um, eventually they calm down and they'll watch as Moni tries to try to grow its own hands to mimic theirs, but ends up with hundreds of uh, silvery threads um, fringing each hand till they look like a sea anemone. Um, yeah. Um, under pressure from Julia and John, Frankie says that she'll tell her oldest brother about it when he comes to visit in eight days and uh, keep Moni hidden until then. Uh, as Moni's growing so quickly, they decide that they'll need to keep it out of the house, and uh, a rabbit hutch at the bottom of the garden might work. Frankie talks to the gardener, Alf, about making a hutch, and Julia earns a place in Frankie's bad books by calling him half-witted. Frankie tells Alf that she uh, wants a secret rabbit. Um, It's kind of not particularly convincing cover story, but... And uh, she also learns that Moni eats through its leg. Um, (laughs) 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 Putting its its foot into, into the saucer. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I just find quite delightful. Um, uh, Frankie tells her dad and brother that her friends are going to come over and practice their sort of stomp esque percussion to get them to leave for the day. Which uh, I guess was all the rage in schools in the eighties. <laughs> I imagine so. Yeah, <laughs> it was bin lids all the way. Um, she she gives in and, and tells her best friend Hazel about Moni. Um, and when, when Alf has made the hut, she also shows Alf. Um, at this point, poor Moni is in a bit of a state. Moni had changed. The jelly-like substance that had given it the semi-transparent look had worn off in patches, or perhaps been absorbed into its body. This gave it an odd mottled appearance, like a peeling wall. On either side of its head, where ears should have been, it had grown a vertical fringe of delicate tendrils, like thin green ribbons, Covering, covering small slits that opened and shut continually. Its feet were large and floppy and toeless. It had only ten fingers now, but they were all on its right hand. Its crimson eyes were bright. 
I love money. Money's so oh, great. I, I knew you'd love money when I was reading it. <laughs> yeah, I will protect money with my life. They are. Um, <laughs> they, they put money in the hutch and it, it stands up against the wire netting like, quote, a, a prisoner of war on the telly. <laughs> um, when Frankie goes to give it its dinner, she has to hold its hand um through the netting and sing out a lullaby until it eventually goes to sleep. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Um, yeah, uh, um, and a note on Moni's pronouns. Um, they they generally call Moni it, um, but sometimes she. Sometimes sometimes people just call Moni she, um, but they mostly stick with it. Um, yeah, it's just find interesting. Um, yeah. Um, because normally, sort of people default to masculine with a. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> with animals or objects or <laughs> whatever, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, um, Frankie uh, decides to keep a record of Moni's changes. Um. After it's molting, its skin looks healthy again and it can now make a whistling noise. Um, when uh, Frankie goes to feed Moni, she finds it out of its cage and sort of lying at the bottom of the pond. Uh, she thinks it's dead, but it's just playing about and Julia suggests that it's amphibious. Um, <laughs> I like how it's just it's like, tricked you! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. While I was dead! <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, Bonnie starts giving little gifts to the group, like a bird's feather or a dandelion or a bright brown, brown pebble, uh, but never to Julia. And uh, this is where the pebble on the on the front cover comes from. <laughs> it's not uh, immediately obvious. Um, it's pretty cute, though. It makes me think of um, it's a, a hymn we had to sing around the Harvest Festival in primary Um would like I will bring to you or I will give to you mm-hmm. like the best gifts I can offer I will give to you best things in my mind and then it's all just like a bunch of random stuff that a kid mm-hmm. might have in their pocket yeah. like you know it's just like you know a bit of gum and some broken twigs you know, a conker too, and sparkly bits, you know, <laughs> um, which, which yeah. is all well and good, but I think they're meant to be an offering to God, and, <laughs> you know, for an omnipotent being that's used to uh, animal and human sacrifice, mm. not really sure if an old, an old quaver, treat. yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> you know, a bit of stickle brick is really going to, really going to cut the mustard. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, these, these yeah. are quite nice gifts that Molly finds. Yeah, one of my like life ambitions is to make friends with like a magpie, oh. so they will bring, will bring me little gifts. Oh, I see. That's your plan. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm not fussy. Like any corvid will do. I just, well, I just want to be best pals with a corvid and. Yeah, just as long as they can bring you gifts. I see your get-rich-quick scheme. Um, yeah. Yeah. Robin Hood of the animal world. (laughs) 
I'm mean, just thinking like like a bottle top. I don't. It doesn't have to be a diamond ring, you know. Although it could be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. So yeah, um, Frankie finds out that her oldest brother isn't going to come back when he said he would, um, and uh, starts to panic about what they're going to do. As money is still growing rapidly and keeps trying to escape the chicken hatch. Um, at this point, her brother David comes round to the garden unexpectedly, and Frankie rushes out into the street with Moni wrapped in a towel, um, causing some alarm and confusion. Um, passes by. Uh, um, uh, John leads her to his dad's building yard, uh, where Moni rolls about happily in some orange sand. But then it all goes wrong again because Julia, turns out, has told Frankie's father everything. Um, Frankie sneaks herself and Monty onto a truck, heading to a place where she knows there's a creek where Monty could perhaps be be happy. Um, so they get to this sort of field and Monty's having a whale of a time paddling in the stream and rolling around in the grass. But then Monty falls asleep under a tree and Frankie starts climbing it. And while she's occupied, a group of boys come along and start throwing stones at Monty, who runs away. Um, she gets a small boy to tell her which direction Monty went and sort of climbs through brambles and into the creek to find it. But she can, can I just say, the small boy mm. seemed very cute indeed. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> very much like, I'll help you. Oh, let, let, <laughs> let me go on the adventure with you. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, Frankie's like, no time for you, small child. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> you, do, you have a soft spot for, for small, squeaky-voiced children. Yeah, I think especially when... I think it's like like the other... It's actually the other mum, but it really stuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not... kind of played this off like it's a minor incident, but actually it warmed my heart. Um, this little, like, I don't know, like maybe two, three-year-old boy. <laughs> we had one down the street of Antonia. He just came up to us and looked at me and said, Hello, mister. Do you like my <laughs> <your> shoes? <laughs> Sorry, repeat that. Uh, Hello, mister. Do you like my new shoes? <laughs> it was very cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you like the new they shoes? They were really nice there? shoes, yeah. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> um... um I think I. Oh yeah, when I when, <laughs> when I was working at the uh, at the charity shop, we had a miniature drum kit for a while, and it was just the best because kids would kids would come in and just like play this miniature drum kit and look really pleased with themselves. And That's awesome. I, it was really sweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, um, one, uh, Frankie, you kind of trips and falls and I think loses consciousness and sort of in near the creek and you know, when she wakes up again there's a, a sort of trail of leaves and pebbles that um that she she realizes are Monny's way of saying goodbye and it's sort of swam away into the creek. Yeah, I mean it's all quite impressionistic. My understanding mm. was that she'd sort of fallen into the creek and Monny had rescued her. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, that might be it. Um, I think. I might be wrong, but mm. yeah, that, that's sort of what I thought had happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's not super clear because it's sort of Frankie's perspective, perspective and she's kind of fading in and out a bit at this point. Yeah, it's all kind uh, of woozy. Mm. Um, but uh, she's she's eventually found, and when she's recovering, it, it turns out that that the sample that Moni grew from didn't actually come from her father's lab, but a different scientist, and that her father was only working on plants all along. Um, <laughs> and is a uh, is quite taken back that when he realizes that uh, um, his daughter thinks that he's making terrible monsters in his laboratory um but yeah um at the end uh, frankie sees Moni one last time it says uh, a gleaming figure came out of the sea a few yards away it stood up to its full height towering above me and stretched its glittering metallic arms towards the sky a ribbed thin, fin yellow as a cockatoo's crest grew over its domed head and down between its massive shoulders Green tendrils fluttered like seaweed from its silvery wet cheeks. Which um, is amazing. Um, yeah, it's gorgeous, that. Non-binary goals, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, um, and that's the end. Um, and, uh, yeah, as, as you mentioned, I did... I did enjoy this book a, a fair bit more than than the first one. Um, I think tonally, it's a lot more spirited. It's mm-hmm. got more of an, of an adventure to it. Haunting of Cassie Palmer is quite a depressive book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, Monster Garden's just uh, more of a romp. Yeah. Um, and, and, and also, Moni's really cute, right? Like, yeah. manages to balance... But sounding kind of squicky and a bit gross, but also is really endearingly written. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, yeah, you can't help but love money. Um, it's the way the way it plays about and sort of experiments with its body and trying to find the right number of fingers and things. It's just uh, it's very charming. Yeah. Um, mm. So in terms of. Kind of other comparisons between the books, as I said, it strikes me that both are kind of about a child protagonist um, having some kind of hidden or secret um, friendship, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because in The Haunting of Casa Palmer, there is an undercurrent of stranger danger, I would say. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, it's explicitly kind of talked about, like, oh, maybe Deverell's someone who kidnaps little girls. Mm-hmm. Or maybe Deverell's a murderer. Um, and the characters kind of joke about it. Yeah. So it's very much there. Um, whereas with The Monster Garden, I guess because... Moni is like this alien creature and the kind of source of peril becomes much more I don't know shadowy like it's much less it's much more like the source of peril is 
kind of scientific institutional mm. lack of empathy for others or something. Hmm. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. Because, like, Frankie's obviously very scared of money being taken away, but, you know, she's also kind of worried about being kind of pursued or or punished by this sort of shadowy scientific establishment which sort of bound mm-hmm. up for her dad and her imagination. Yeah, it's a very... Um... It's a very vague and 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 shadowy threat. I mean, uh, kind of like I mean, it's kind of the way like a child might understand something. <laughs> like, yeah. um, like something that you've heard is sinister, but you don't really have any idea what's going on, um, and you know. You don't really know what's what's possible. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. As, far, as far as she knows, they they could be making, you know, hybrid monsters in a lab. You know, like, um, yeah, like they could be doing anything up there. <laughs> yeah, and, it, and like her kind of fear of her father and what her father does mm-hmm. at his work ends up kind of being transferred onto this other scientist. Yeah. Near the end of the book. Yes. Yeah, it turns out her father's actually alright. He's just <laughs> working on plants, but there's the yeah. Uh, the the threat still remains in this other this other scientist's lab. Um but yeah, it's interesting because I didn't feel it was taking I mean I guess both books are much more just about the kind of experiential you know, just the experience of these young girls. Mm. And I guess their relationships, and particularly family relationships. Um, you know, I didn't think it was a book with some kind of message or thesis. Yeah. Like, you know, because if you were just... I don't know if any listeners hearing this... Like, I think I would have got the impression that it was a very sort of explicitly anti genetic modification or sort of mm. anti-messing around of nature book. And actually, it doesn't really feel like that, especially because, yeah, you know, money's being created through this process to a degree, albeit then somehow, like like Frankenstein's creature, you know, struck by lightning and has come alive. Um, mm. But, yeah, it's... I don't know, I, I just find it interesting that it kind of flirts with some kind of tension between, like, the scientific world and the sort of world of rationality and then this sort of more nurturing, natural world. Mm. But, it, you know, it, it, it never really developed. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. not quite like Animals of Farthing Wood or Princess Mononoke, where it's very mm-hmm. much like, mm-hmm. you know the natural world is, is the thing to be protected and valorised, like... Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't... I think... I think maybe Vivian Alcock was quite... quite <laughs> careful, sort of, to not come down very heavily on one side. Yeah. Or another. Um, kind of the same thing with ghosts and mediums in The Haunting of Cassie Palmer. 
mm. that it doesn't come across as like some super skeptical rationalist book but at the same time it doesn't come across as the work of someone who is a die-hard believer in ghosts and the afterlife yeah yeah um I mean, how do you, do you think, well, sounds good to say, do you think kids today would like it, but, you know, I'm trying to kids today <laughs> listening to this would be quite insulted by that, because, you know, everyone's different. <laughs> um, what kind of kids do you imagine enjoying these books? Because you said that when you were young, you probably wouldn't have picked them up. Um, yeah, um... I mean, I, I, I think that that was. I think I might have, um, if I'd, if I'd have got past the old-fashioned covers, I think I might have enjoyed them as a kid, <laughs> um, or like particularly Monster Garden. Um, um, uh, because I definitely. Um, it, well, I definitely enjoyed books with a sort of creepy kind of atmosphere. Um, I mean, I think probably who they remind me most of is um, Anne Fine. Um, I don't know if you um, if you read Anne Fine books. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah, I um, think I think I had to read um, Flower Babies in primary school. Uh huh. And. Um, yeah, one we might do on the podcast, I guess, is sometime in the future is the tulip touch. <laughs> oh God, yeah, which, yeah, that which was really got under my skin as a kid. Yeah, that was terrifying. Um, I'm actually surprised we haven't done that one because that was genuinely quite scary. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe one to do soon. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. No, like I don't think there's anything um, necessarily about them that couldn't appeal to uh, to kids now. Like I don't think they're so dated that <laughs> they're irrelevant. You know? They're yeah, still... yeah. It's not like this is Water Babies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's still kids. It's still about like kids having sort of slightly fraught family relationships and sort of. Uh, and secrets and sort of, um, yeah, kind of tension between, um, like what you having like a a secret and how what you tell your family and kind of, um, and then the kind of the idea of a kid versus the sort of establishment kind of thing, which is sort of pretty um, enduring themes, I think. Yeah, yeah um, definitely. So, um, I mean, more towards yeah. the domestic end of children's yes. horror. Like, you know, yeah, there's yeah. definitely some similarities between, I mean, those themes you've just mentioned, you get in Jacqueline Wilson books, mm-hmm. right, which, which definitely aren't horror. So there's quite a lot <laughs> yeah. of dramery stuff in both of the books. Yeah. Um but yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know if um 
if they're like not <laughs> exciting enough for like for <laughs> I, I do wonder basically i tried reading yeah. monster garden to george he, he wasn't mm. having any of it to be honest yeah um but that's not wholly he does like a lot of jokes mm-hmm. um he does like hijinks and i think there weren't enough hijinks early enough yeah. for him he's, he's really really enjoyed the knights and bikes books Okay. Oh, if he, I think you'd really like this. There's also a video game. Um, really, really fun kids' books. Um, mm. Like about about these two two girls so on their bikes, sort of exploring this island, possibly off the coast of Cornwall. Um, but yeah, there there there's a lot of a lot of stuff happens, and there's a lot of jokes. Mm. It's, it's it's quite noisy and busy. And these yeah. are quite quiet books. They're, yeah, they're quite quiet and um, not. Um, they're not like very wacky. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, you know, they're quite high energy kind of thing. So mm. I can yeah, see how that's a bit of a a tough sell. Um, yeah, but um, you know, for any listeners who like kind of more sedate, mm. the creepy but but yeah, low energy reads, mm. I'd recommend them. Especially yeah. Monster Garden. Yeah, especially Monster Garden. Cool. Well, um, hit the hour, so um, doing pretty good. Um, yeah, shall we wrap it up there? Yeah, let's let's credit it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, so uh, uh, <laughs> how do I do this? Um, so uh, our intro music is by Maki Yamazaki. Our outro music is by Joe Kelly. Uh, artwork is by Letty Wilson. Um, you can tweet us at stillscaredpod or email us at stillscaredpodcast at gmail.com. Um, update on last uh, last episode. Oh. I'm now checking the email again. Thank you to people who've emailed us. That's really nice of you. What, we, um, we've had emails get plural? Email. Uh, yeah, yeah. What, what, yeah. What's going on? <laughs> um uh, yeah thank you really appreciate hearing your thoughts and um uh yeah it's really nice and uh so if you do wish to email us um they will be read (laughs) oh my gosh they were were nice emails and all like they weren't like they weren't like oh ren you know get rid of that adam guy (laughs) they weren't no okay right (laughs) um yeah, and also, um, if you fancy it, you can review us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever. Um, but yeah, just thank you for listening. It's uh, it's really nice that people are listening and um, yeah, had a few interactions on Twitter as well. People saying they're listening and uh, it's, just, it's just nice. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thanks everyone and... Um... Yeah, I've um, got to do a sign off, don't I? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, creepy, spooky kids. Um, yeah, I hope you learn to eat through your legs like Monty mm. does. Yeah, that's a good aspiration. Yeah. <laughs> See you next time, spooky kids. Bye. Bye.